this was an unusual thing in the Senate in the You tolerated these people and you wanted them to hear, but you didn't uh, address them specifically. Uh, and then he goes on and he says that they that dwell in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not know Jesus, did not understand or accept him, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning him. So when the people there in Jerusalem condemned Jesus to death, they fulfilled the scripture and the prophecy that was written in the Old Testament of Jesus. Verse uh, 28 says, I know they found no cause for cause of death in him, yet desired they Pilate that he should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the sepulchre. So he says, after they had fulfilled all the prophecy about Jesus, they took him down off of that cross, a dead man, and put him in a sepulcher. But the next verse says, but God raised him from the dead. That, that's the exciting part. And he goes on, he says, and he was seen many days of them which came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto you, un unto us, their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said in his, in, on this wise, and this is another quote from, he says, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he said also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Goes right on. He says, "For David, after he had served his own his own generation, by the will of God, fell on sleep, and was laid unto his fathers, and he did see corruption. He his body did decompose, but whom God raised again, set saw no corruption. So Jesus, he said, the one that God raised from the dead." He didn't ever see corruption. His body didn't decompose. And then verses 38 and 9 are where I want to, us to look at. He said, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sin. And by him all that believe are justified from the things, from all things from which they could not be justified by the law of Moses. 
So he says, the law of Moses had its limitations. You couldn't be justified. You could have your sins put off for a year by a sacrifice, but you couldn't be justified in your sin. But he says, but be it known to you that through this man is preached unto you forgiveness of sin, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. This is, this is an exciting thing that I'm presenting here. But he, he quoted some of this, and I, I would like to go back to the book of Jeremiah. And, you know, he quoted from the Psalms here concerning David and concerning Jesus. And in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 31, and let's see, and I'm going to start with verse 31. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break. Although I was an husband, husband, husbandman unto them, or a husband to them, saith the Lord. But this shall be a covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. A direct quotation of the New Testament that God was going to establish with Israel. And this is the New Testament that we have here. These letters confirm this. And they fulfill this prophecy here in Jeremiah. So... This prophecy says that there's going to be a new covenant. And not only that, but right there at the end it says, and I will forgive their sins. And they will have these things written in their hearts. They won't be on tablets of stone. They won't be some law that Moses brought down off of the mountain. It's not going to be that kind of a covenant. It's going to be a a covenant that is written on their inward parts. They will not have to um, go and read some tablets of stone. This is something that's going to be written on their very own hearts. And they will love the Lord. They will have, this will be, uh, he says, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. There will be a, a unity here. And this is, what 
him preaching. I'm sure he used this in his preaching when he used the scriptures that they there. Another one that I would like us to turn and read is in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53. And I'm going to read this whole chapter here. And Isaiah says, Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and we laid as it were her, as we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Uh, we appreciate we didn't appreciate who he was. Is another way of saying that. We didn't understand. We didn't perceive who this was. And this is a prophecy of Jesus. It says, Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. They, they said anyone who hangs on a cross is, is accursed of God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for his sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall, he shall see of the travail, the, the suffering of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall hear shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This prophecy of Jesus here in this 
53rd chapter of Isaiah. I'm sure was one of the scriptures that Paul used as he preached to the Jews in, the, in their synagogues. And these prophecies have been read many, many times. The prop, prophecies in, of David and his in the Psalms and up here in Isaiah and Jeremiah Hosea and many other places we see prophecies of Jesus and these were the scriptures that they had and they heard these right there in the synagogue many many times each Sabbath day they read the scripture they made a, a point but it went right over their heads. Just they didn't understand that this was a, a suffering Messiah that they looked for. And so we see this being part of the, part of the message that Paul brought to the to the Gentiles as well as to the Jews. But let's go back there to Acts again. In Acts chapter uh, chapter 13. And the Jews, some of them believed and some did not. Of the the people that had uh, had converted to Judaism. Many of them were became believers. I'll read in verse 42. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached unto them the next Sabbath day. I, I read another translation that said that they wanted to hear more about this through the week before the next Sabbath, before the next Sabbath day. So there was they wanted to hear more about this. These were the Gentiles. Not just the Jews. But that next Sabbath day, let's read on here. He says, Now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. So those that believed, he encouraged them to continue to serve God by faith. Look at verse 44 here. It says, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. So everybody wanted to hear about this. Not, now, that wasn't just the proselytes, and maybe not just the believers, those God-fearing people who met with the Jews on Sabbath day. This was the whole town. Everybody wanted to hear about forgiveness of sin. This was astounding to them. They wanted to hear it. They were eager to hear the word of God. That is exciting. I'm sure the Apostle Paul found that exciting as well. But they gathered together to hear the word of God. The logos, that message, that new concept of forgiveness of sin. 
but the Jews saw the multitude, and they were filled with envy, and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and, and even blaspheming. Wow. Jealousy can do some strange things. They were jealous because Paul had such a, a vast audience and made such an impact on the, on the whole town. It wasn't just a few people that came to the synagogue. It was everybody. The whole town wanted to hear about this. And so they became jealous. Even the blaspheming and saying that what Paul was saying wasn't right, wasn't true. When God had sent Paul with this message, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles were glad, and they glorified the word of God, and many believed. Now, I don't know that the whole town believed, but they came to hear. They wanted to know about this, this salvation from God. So, then they invited Paul. This is verse 42 here. If you missed that as we went through. They invited Paul to tell them more of the grace of God. Then, from that first Saturday, first Sabbath day, all through that next week, they wanted to hear more. And I'm sure that they, Paul and his, those traveling with him, weren't just sitting back relaxing during that next week. They were teaching all through that week. Now, the, the Jews had this use the Sabbath day for their day of teaching. But they had other businesses to run through the week. And I'm sure many of these others did too. But many came together to hear Paul. And they spread the word. Hey, this is a new teaching. This is something, and it's for everybody. It's not just the Jews. And so, that next Sabbath day, the whole town showed up. <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice to have that kind of response here in Avondale? Mm -hmm. Pueblo, you know, to have that many people to hear the Word of God. Well, let's turn to 2 Corinthians. Yeah. <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is where I'm going to start. And I'm read verses 14 through 16. It says, Now thanks be to God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ, and make it manifest the Savior, the Savior of this knowledge by us in every place. For we are to God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death. 
to the other to save her life and life. And who is sufficient for these things? He said, We're, everywhere we go, we, we are heard and uh, God causes us to triumph in Christ. He gives us our success when we go preaching. And he makes manifest, he makes obvious the savor of this knowledge by us in every place. So, uh, he's saying there is, what is savor? Savor is like a, a odor, an aroma, a, a taste, a, uh, a presence, if you will. Now, sometimes when I'm sleeping at night, we have a scout that walks by the window outside. I know when he's out there. He, he doesn't have to announce himself. <laughs> you know, and that's what Paul is saying. There's a savor. And everywhere we go, this is that savor of Christ. And this, to one, it's a good smell. And to the other, it's terrifying. So, we, he causes us to triumph in Christ. He manifests the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. He said, everywhere we go, they know we've been there. <laughs> okay? It's like when that skunk passes by my window. He's, he's not being offensive particularly. It's not a real strong odor, but I know he's there. Well, the apostle here is saying, this happens in every place we go. For we are to God a sweet savor of Christ. That's who we are. And, and everybody sees that, acknowledges that. And they experience it. In them that are saved, and in them that perish. So, everybody knows. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. He says, and who is sufficient for these things? He says, what, how does one become confident in doing this? Is it by our own strength? No, no way. He says, who's, who's capable of doing that? None of us are capable of ourselves. So, Look down here in chapter 3 of 2 Corinthians. And I'm, I'm going to skip on down to uh, verse 15. But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, that is, the Jews. Nevertheless, when... It shall be turned unto the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. I think that the translators made a mistake here. And I'm, this is my belief, and I'll, let me read that the way I, there's only one word I would change in there. It says, nevertheless, when they shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. When those Jews do turn to the Lord, then God 
reveals himself to them, takes that veil away. And, you know, I, pardon me if I feel that King James was remiss in that, but uh, Andy, you have? I, I think the it is referring actually to their heart, as in not uh, not a person, but rather the heart itself. That's right. why you have the problem. It, it's a veil on their heart, so they don't see, they don't perceive, they don't understand what but, is being said. But when they, when their heart turns, yes, that's when it's taken away. So it's not talking about just their mind turns or whatever. It's talking about their heart when they want to see, when they want to know. Yes, people tend to believe what they already believe. Anybody, if we we can. Pray to that. But we need to pray that God would reveal Himself to us by the power of His Spirit. Because it's not just the Jews that can be blinded. Satan would blind everyone to that. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open faith, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. This is saying that when we do the will of God, it's, it's like we see ourselves in a mirror. And when we're doing the will of God, we are changed. We are converted. We are converted into what we should be. We are changed into the same image, the image of Christ in us. The scripture says, Christ in you is your hope of glory. And that is what he's talking about here. We are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. So it's not our strength, but it's God working in us that changes us. And that's what makes our ministry effective. It's God working in and through us. It's not our... He says, who is sufficient for these things? Is the question that he asked there in chapter 2. And he says, no... Here's the answer to that. It's, a, it's Christ in you. Christ working in you that makes you change from what you are by your own nature to what you are by the power of God. And that is what he's talking about here. That is the change that we need to have in our lives. And Paul said, I'm certainly not sufficient. Now, not that Paul wasn't a chosen vessel. He was. God said that he was a chosen vessel to, to serve me. He had been educated as a Pharisee. He understood the Jews. He, he was a Jew. He understood them very well. But when he was converted, it changed his whole perspective of what Judaism was and what and who God was and who Jesus was. Realized that he was the Messiah. 
He said, who art thou, Lord, <laughs> on that road to Damascus? And, and Jesus said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And, and it changed Paul's perspective on life. And so now, here he is saying that it's by the power of the Spirit of the Lord that we are changed from glory to glory. From one uh, understanding of life to a new and better understanding. I'm going to jump to the end. Let's go on down. Let's keep on reading here in chapter 4. It says, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we have received mercy. As we have received mercy, we faint not. It says, This is not an easy task that we have here. But since we've been given this ministry, given the responsibility by God, we faint not. He said, we, we have the ability because of God working in us. Therefore, because of the Spirit of the Lord working in us, we have received mercy and we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of the Lord. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. He says, if there are those that don't understand this gospel, if it's hidden from them, if their eyes are blinded, it's to those that are lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. How many people out there in the world that we know have their minds blinded to the message of God? But he says they're blinded. Lest, Satan doesn't want them to see those things. They're blinded lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Jesus is the image of his Father. And Satan doesn't want the world to see that. So he blinds the eyes of men. Paul goes on, he says, For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves, your servants, for Jesus' sake. He gave us a commission to go and to preach. But we, for your sakes, we are his servants. Or we are your servants, for Jesus' sake. We are, we are here to do a service for you. Because Jesus gave us a job to do. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
uh, we have this treasury in earthen vessels, the, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. That's the key here. That power is not something that we have. We've, we've been given this treasure, this marvelous, wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ and of the love of God shown in the person of Jesus Christ as he died on the cross. God loved it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the blessing that we have, though we have this in an earthen vessel. He's talking about a clay pot, like a, a flower pot, not a, not a fine vase uh, or anything. It's just an earthen pot. Just something that's fragile, that's breakable, that is a, it's, it's a tenuous thing, except it's not. It, we have it in this earthen vessel, this body, the human body. Who is sufficient to do these things? But that power isn't of us. It's of God. So, this concept, this, um, God is the one who gives us strength to do the job that we have been sent here to do. We have turned from the dishonesty of the world to tell others the truth that we have received as clearly as possible as God gives us the ability. We're we're given this job, but God gives us the ability. It's not our strength. He says those who do not receive, those who reject the message of God's grace, are being blinded by Satan. So they cannot see that Jesus is the light of, of God's mercy in this dark world. Jesus came to bring that message of mercy to the dark world. And he says, uh, the great treasure that we have here has been given has been given to us to hold and to share. It's not just for us to have it, but it's for us to share with everybody around us. With those to whom we come in contact. Uh, though we are fragile and impotent of, of our own strength, he said, we don't have the strength to do this on our, by our own selves. So the power and the glory of this message, this concept, the logos, this idea, is from God. And it must be a God, because we can't do it in our own strength. We need to realize that as Christians, as we live from day to day, that we need to rely on Christ so that that savor, that aroma, that taste of a Christian will be left behind everywhere we go, just like that skin. 
That's fine. Skunks are nice people. As long as you don't mess with them. <laughs> but we need to people need to know we've been there and that we are Christians wherever we go. Just like Paul. We are called out of this world. We are called to serve God. We are baptized into this body, the body of Christ, which is here to do the will of God in our lives. There's acceptance and appreciation or rejection and hatred. And people don't realize that that is the choice that they have to make. There isn't a halfway Christian. We are called upon to do the same thing that Paul was doing. You know, Paul spoke from first-hand experience. But isn't that what God has called us to also? I'm, I'm going to stop right there. I don't know. That's, that's the message that God laid on my heart. I want you to respond now. Tell me how you feel about this very subject. Tyler, you've got... You've been put in a in a harness by God. What what do you think of that? What Paul said here? We have we just have work to do. <laughs> we have work to do, you know. Absolutely. We we have to be pleasing before the Lord. And who is sufficient for these things? And we can't of ourselves be considered that without the Lord. You know, you know these people that that, that uh, say they serve the Lord, but yet they follow after their. I mean, following after our fleshly desires is not going to be sufficient to the Lord. No. You know, it's like Samuel. Samuel said to, to Saul, we mentioned last week, that he says, what is this bleeding of sheep I hear in my ear? And, and Saul said, I've done what the Lord asked me. And he says, oh, no, no, you have not. And he didn't kill Agag. No. Nope. didn't kill Agag. And they, did, and they and, took of the best. He said, the people took of the best of for an offering to God. You know, uh, it's not for us to will and to do what we, our good pleasure is, but to do his. You know, um, it would have been easy for me to stay in Arkansas for another 33 years. But yet, the Lord saw fit to call me here. Yes. So, I'm, I'm, I'm glad I did too. You know, the, the, I think the point of it is, is when we're, when we're called to do these things, not to be concerned with what we're not doing, that God has that God has called us to, for a purpose to do these things. So we should thank the Lord for what He's allowed us to have, and what He's given us, and what He showed us. Be more thankful for those things. 
friend Kathy was really being railroaded into a nursing home by some of her family, and she doesn't need help. She's fine, uh, but it's upsetting her really badly. But she, I talked to her last night a long time, <laughs> too long. <laughs> but uh, she's really upset about it and in tears some, and, and I was reminding her that God put her where she's at for a reason. And that, you know, of course she has options still, and I encouraged her to take some. I just stopped putting people in charge of her who are doing things she doesn't want. But, you know, but I encouraged her about, you know, because she's had these strokes and stuff, and she has difficulty with her speech a little, and especially when she's tired, which she often is, because she never sleeps, you know. But she's, she's struggling, as we often all struggle, with where she's at. And... God has placed each one of us where we're at for a purpose, we're to accomplish things that are really needed where we're at. And I was reminding her of it, and it was comforting her. But um, I saw something in here kind of got happy perkles down my spine because, you know, on the one hand, there's this contrast of people being blinded who can't see. And it says in another part about how people are taking captive of the devil at his will. Because if they don't choose to believe, they're at his mercy. And they don't they don't discern the difference. But now, when you want to believe, when your heart turns to him like it says here, then the veil's taken away and all of a sudden you see things. And because the Holy Spirit comes in, you're letting him in, you're allowing him to influence you. And when you allow him to influence you, you see things different, you talk different, you act different, it changes life entirely. And so I was looking at this and thinking about, well, how can you get the people who are not willing and not interested and not asking for God and not looking for God and really happy being blind and deceived, how do you get them from point A to point B? How do you switch it around? And I, re I realized, you know, that's what we're here for, is to be intercessors and to be salt and light. When we have joy and peace in spite of everything, it's going to influence people. And when we have a hunger for God's word, that means that we don't even have time for movies and stuff. I had a friend ask me, have I seen this movie and that movie? And I'm like, well, no. And I don't really care if I do because, you know, I've got stuff. This is really exciting to me. You know, I don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> I know it sounds funny, but... It's really true because all of a sudden this stuff, it's like like I'm realizing here we are in a battle and we are the difference. If we pray and intercede for people and ask God to draw them to himself, then he will. Yes. But what if we forget to pray? Or what if we're allowing ourselves to fill our lives up with movies and entertainments and you know, just whether it's just cleaning the house or whatever. If we allow everything else to distract us from the main reason we're here, then we're not doing what God put us here for. And so we can lose that. So to me, this is exciting stuff because we can ask God to put his spirit out there and touch that person's life who's being so unwilling to hear and learn from God. We can pray and we can also be salt and light by making sure we stay in the harness, as you were putting it, yeah. and stay straight yeah. on the straight so we have that same, that, so that they see it in us, yeah. and they acknowledge Christ 
that, you know, they said of Peter and, and Andrew and those, said, even they're fishermen. They, they aren't learned people particularly. Sure, they're Jews, but, you know, they've got the basics, but how did they get this power? Where did that come from? Well, the Apostle Paul here in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, he goes on there where I left off reading. He says, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. He said, we, we're going to have troubles. <laughs> Everywhere he went, somebody was, was breathing down his neck, wanting to kill him. We're going to have troubles. It's going to happen. It happened to Apostle Paul here. He said, folks, we don't know what we're going to do next. But we're not in despair. We're not giving up. Uh, we've got troubles on every side, but we, we're not distressed. We're not going to worry about it because God takes care of that for us. And this is what we need to tell Kathy, too. And we're persecuted. He was persecuted. They were out to kill him. We don't have that, really. Jesus also told them that, that you know, when you're young, you get to go where you wish. When you're old, so you get to be girded up, and somebody else is going to carry you where you don't want to go. Yeah, this is what John was told. Oh. He said, "You're not going to be young all your life." You know, you, we. I'm, I'm amazed that I'm able to do the things that I do at, at my age. I look around and I see younger people that can't do that. You know, we see these. We're always bearing about the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus. He he was persecuted. He was maligned. He was beaten. He was had that crown of thorns forced down on his head and hung on the cross for my sins. But that was so that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. People can see Jesus Christ in us. That is the purpose of his body. We are his body here on this earth. And sure, we're going to have problems. We're going to have troubles. Serious troubles. But we need to put that in God's hands. Because he protects us. He's the one that gives us strength. Makes us able ministers of his will. For it is God that worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. That's in Philippians chapter 4, I think. Anyway, we he gives us to will and to do of his good pleasure, not of ours. But that's what we're here for. Tony, you have some to add to this? I do. All right. Well, our, our time is up anyway, so.
let's take a, a short break here. I didn't hit record this morning. Whoops. I'll start where I'll keep recording where I'm, where I'm at. Sorry, folks. We forgot cut, cut them off. <laughs> so, particularly, we have some important things that we need to remember. We have a duty and an obligation, according to our faith, to do, carry out these things in service to the Lord. Look at Joshua chapter 24. One of the more commonly quoted passages of Scripture. Joshua chapter 24 and verse 19 is where we'll start. Actually, we'll start in verse 18 there. Says and the Lord drave from uh, drave out from before them all the peoples, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land, and therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Particular here is that we we note we note the conquest of the land of Canaan for the uh, for the nation of Israel. And what did he say? He said they drave they tried to drive out those other peoples that the Lord said you're going to go inherit the land of the. What do you say? The Amorites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, all, I mean, all those people, Perizzites. He says, it's their land that they took, but I'm giving it to you. So again, they sought to drive out these people. And here we have at the end of Joshua's life, he's talking to them about these things. And he says, and Joshua said unto the people, in verse 19, ye cannot serve the Lord <clears throat> for he is an holy God and he is a jealous God and he will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods and he will turn and do to you hurt and consume you after you have done, after he has done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Excuse me, that's to repeat that again. <laughs> you can tell I'm not feeling good when I read something twice, right? And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witness against yourselves that ye have chosen the Lord to serve him, and that they said, We are witness. Now therefore put away, said he, the strange gods which were among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will be obeyed. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day, and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem, and Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set up there under an oak that which was the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto the people, Behold, the stone shall be witness unto us for that he has the words of the Lord which he has spoken unto us and it shall be therefore a witness unto you lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart, every man unto his inheritance, and it came to pass after these that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being a hundred and ten years old. Hmm. Interesting, huh? Of course, this is the, the passage of Scripture where he mentions, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So, He 
interesting thing here is that the people, even though he told them, he says, this is what's expected of you. He says, if you turn around and you don't serve the Lord the way he intended for you to, he's going to consume you. Bit of foreshadowing there, wasn't it? Interesting. We talked about the exodus from Egypt and how they were they were ready to serve the Lord. They'd set themselves apart with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They left, and then what happened? Not long after that, they got upset about the man in the wilderness, and they wanted meat, and then they wanted water. <laughs> and what happened? God gave it to them. <laughs> but he gave it to them, even though God has a, has, a, has a sense of humor. I always say this because one thing is, is he provided them what they wanted. It wasn't what they needed. They wanted them to rely on him. He says, I'll give you the manna to provide for you, but you need to collect it in this manner. And don't collect it on, you won't have any on Sunday, so don't collect what you need on Saturday. Or Saturday, you know, the day before. I'm sorry, Friday probably was what it was. <laughs> but the day before your holy day, you, you collect double so that you can have some for Sunday so you don't have to prepare it. Then they got mad about that. And what did he do? He punished them for it. He gave them what they wanted. And they didn't necessarily need it. They wanted a king. He says, I am your king. <laughs> oh, we want a king like the other nations. They, do. they paid for it too. They saw that man was wicked. Why? Because Saul did what he did. And he told the Lord, he says, this is, this is what you told me to do. Oh, no, it isn't. You only heard what you wanted to hear, and you did what you wanted to do, and guess what? You're going to pay for it. You've lost the kingship. And you've lost the people. <laughs> he said, it's given to your neighbor. Let's look at First Chronicles chapter 15. And guess what? We'll actually be finished after this. First Chronicles 15. Verse tw- uh, 15, verse 26 is where we'll start. It says, And it came to pass when God held the Levites that they bare the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and they offered seven bullocks and seven rams. And David was clothed with a robe of fine linen, the Levites that bear the ark and the singers and the Chenanai, the master of song with the, with the singers. David also had upon him an ephod of, lin- of linen. Thus all Israel brought upon the ark of the covenant of the Lord with shouting and with sound of cornet and with trumpets and with cymbals and with the making of noise with psalters and harps. And it came to pass as the ark of the covenant of the Lord came to the city of David that Michal the daughter of Saul, looking out of the window, saw King David dancing and playing, and she despised him in her own heart. So they bought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it, and they offered burnt sacrifice and peace offering before God. And when David had made an end of the offering, a burnt offering and a peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord. 
And he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Sorry. So, Ark of the Covenant had been delivered back to the place where it was intended to be. City of David. That was in Jerusalem, of course. And what is the interesting point here? It was quite a procession, wasn't it? The Ark had been gone for some time because of their own, what? Because of their own failings, wasn't it, that it left? If you recall the account, they were in battle and they were instructed to do what? He said, don't go out and do this. You go to battle, I'm not with you. Because they hadn't properly set themselves apart for service and their worship with the Lord, right? And what happened? The Philistines took what was the people of God's, right? And of course, we know the subsequent story about the destruction of the temple of Dagon, which is kind of an interesting story, but it's to serve a point. What is the proper and honorable worship of God? It's because the people of God, they were so caught up in the presence of the ark but they forgot about the presence of God and honored worshiping God. Made it of, of a sense. They made it an idol, didn't they? They were more concerned with the presence of the ark being there with them in the, in, in the battle than they were with the Lord being with them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sometimes we get distracted and we think, oh, we got to do this. This is the way we, the Lord wants it. You ever heard, we've heard the statement, check yourself before you wreck yourself. The same thing is that we have to be careful in our service to the Lord just as the nation of Israel corporately should have been being concerned with where they were and what their state was. Why do you think he, he instructs them over in the New Testament to examine yourselves? He tells us to be a humble people, not a prideful people. There are a lot of people out there today that claim to be the Lord's people that are prideful people that won't listen to instruction. They won't listen to what the Lord would have them to do, but rather they set up rules for themselves and make governances for themselves so that they can do what they want to. It's funny. How many, about what? How many thousands of years? Several thousands of years have passed over from these writings from the beginning of the writings here on to present time we know of at least what 7,000 years at least it's funny that the heart of man hasn't really changed has it so here we see an example of acceptable worship before the Lord where do you think McCall's heart was? It wasn't there, was it? She was angry. <laughs> Mentions that she was the daughter of Saul, but she was more upset that he was happy, wasn't it? <laughs> it sounds like. Her heart should have been happy that the Lord was that the Lord had saw fit to have him return it because 
David did what they were supposed to do, but her heart wasn't right with the Lord, it sounds like. And then they go on to provide, he goes on to provide sacrifice and offering. And what? He blessed the people in the name of the Lord. Set him, they set, set aside the people to worship the Lord. That's why he said he blessed them in the name of the Lord. It was a reminder that we're supposed to be, we're, I mean, the blessing is that we set ourselves apart for the Lord service and he provides and protects us and cares for us as he sees fit. He just asks us to be obedient and follow instruction, doesn't he? By faith. He goes on there and he sets and he tells them what to do. He sets up the Levites to minister the ark. He gives every person a piece of flesh, a bread, and a flagon of oil. And then what? You see here that this particular instance where he prepares the they they start to prepare for worship. And he does his first it mentions this is the first instance of a psalm that he made there. This is a psalm that's recorded over in Psalms, isn't it? He says there in verse 8 of chapter 16, it says, Give thanks unto the Lord and call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him and sing psalms unto him. Talk ye of all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name and let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength and seek his face continually. It doesn't say whenever it's necessary or whenever you deem it necessary. It says continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done and his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O you seed of Israel, his servants, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God and his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant. The word which he had commanded to the thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made to Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac, and hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying unto thee, Will I give the land of Canaan and the lot of your inheritance, when ye were but few, even a few, and a strangers in it? And when they went forth nation to nation and come one from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sake, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do not my prophets no harm. Sing unto the Lord, and all the earth show forth the day to day his salvation. It says, Sing unto the Lord, all the earth show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen and his marvelous works among the nations. For the great is the Lord and greatly is he to be praised and he is also to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor in the presence and strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindred of the peoples. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name and being offering and come before him and worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Fear before him all the earth and the world also shall be stable that it be not moved. So what is he talking about there? 
saying, remember this. Remember this, this covenant. Remember not to harm his anointed or to do harm to the prophets. Remember that he delivers you day by day. Isn't that what he says? He says, delivers you day by day for salvation. He delivers you through it. So the example of the nation of Israel worshiping. Of course, each unit was its own. Each household was its own unit, but collectively they made up the whole of the Lord's people. That made up the congregation of Israel, right? I would encourage us to look at these examples of the scripture and look through the Old Testament because it's still beneficial for our, what, our teaching, isn't it? we have to consider that the Lord would have us to be a holy people set aside for worship for him. He doesn't change it just because we're not in the Old Testament anymore. He still expects us to honor and glorify him. And if we're vessels for his service, we are to be engaged in worship, right? He said continually over there, So, what should our worship be? That's all I have for you this morning. We'll all stand to be dismissed.
I'll take the time. Okay, what? Then let's stand and have a word of prayer. Brother Dennis, would you lead us in prayer?